Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, which is me, Toby Haydock, being cheerful and upbeat about a Doctor Who story that has been selected for me by a friend who's going to choose in secret their favourite things about each episode, and I have to guess what those favourite things are as I commentate along. Hello, I'm Martin Geraghty and I'm one of the long-standing artists on the Doctor Who magazine comic strip and more recently a member of the animation team on the Missing Episodes Productions. Um, Toby has very kindly asked me to contribute to his podcast and the story I've chosen is The Horror of Fang Rock from 1977. Well, hello everybody. It's the thoroughly enjoyable... Spoiler alert, sorry, but if you've listened to the first two parts of this, you'll know that it's so far been the thoroughly enjoyable, and will continue to be the thoroughly enjoyable, Horror of Fang Rock, Episode 3. It's Advocate Martin Geraghty, who has worked on Doctor Who comic strips, Doctor Who animations, and also lent me his priceless copy of Nigel Neal's Tomato Cane. I'm fresh from doing a reading uh, of a story, The Pond from Tomato Cane, at the Manchester Festival of Fan- Fabulous Films, uh, and also from launching the season two box set in the form of The Time Meddler and a little on-stage interview from me and others, Tyler Butterworth, Paul Venezes, Andrew Stocker, Peter Purvis, Pete McTie. Well, it was the first of the BFIs I went to, uh, and it was really, really good fun and enjoyable. And a reminder of what a lovely bunch of people uh, make up Doctor Who fandom. And I saw loads of people there, some of them just across the room. Uh, so, and, and, and some I got to speak to, people I hadn't seen, spoken to in the flesh for a good three years or so. And, uh, oh, I could have stayed there for a whole extra day. Um, so it's with that in mind, now this is all topical for patrons because these virtually go live uh non-patrons this happened about six months ago now that's not to rub it in or anything like that uh it's just to illustrate because i always do it at the end and i know not everybody listens after the credits this is to illustrate that uh patrons get these podcasts about six months early so if you've done a, a marathon of these and are deciding oh i've caught up um there are and you're not a patron and you're on you know itunes or one of those there's uh, there's quite a hefty uh, stack of episodes in uh, Patronville, uh, which is very cheap to access. Um, but if you're a patron, I'm preaching to the converted. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, uh, right. Listen up, everybody, patrons, non-patrons. I love you all. Um, and it's nice to be doing this, isn't it? It's nice as, as, as I record this. The winter nights are drawing in. It's the day after Halloween. What more appropriate story than the kill fest uh, that is? And rem- a reminder, uh, reminds me very much of the sort of horror films. We, we, all the late night horror films that I seem to remember from when I was a kid with the John Carpenter ones, you know, like The Thing and uh, The Fog, which of course has part of it is set in a lighthouse with Adrienne Barbeau uh, as a, as a, as a DJ, isn't she, in a, in a lighthouse? So slightly slightly different setup, but uh, a foggy night and a lighthouse um, and, and, and is, is enough to, to, to evoke that Carpenter classic. Which and, and, you know, they have the great thing of having a, a group of characters cut off and, you know, who then get bits cut off, you know, people get picked off. And that's my 
kind of thing, you know, hoping that that person survives or, oh, upset that that person doesn't. Um, I mean, even even non, you know, horror and sci-fi like the Poseidon Adventure. I love all of that stuff. Throw a group of characters together, have them in jeopardy, pick them off one by one. You feel each individual death if it's done properly and you're pleased for the survivors. Uh, at the end, that's all I need. I don't need plot twists and convolutedness and blah de blah I mean, all that stuff's good, but... Uh, but that's that's bread and butter for me. So, uh, but and, and you know, then you throw in Paddy Russell, Terence Dix's writing, Tom Baker, Louise Jameson, and this cast, and it's bread and butter with quite a lot of lovely jam and peanut butter and oh, Coke. <laughs> I'll leave you to decide which one. Uh, let's see if they say sprinkled, you'll know exactly which one. Um, but uh, right. Why did I say that as if I was somebody that's taken loads of coke? Because I haven't. But um, did I did I did I come across like I was uh, uh, like I was what? Who cares? Right. Stop talking about this. Is a family. This is a family podcast of a child-friendly television show in which loads of people are about to die. Um, but crucially, not take drugs because drugs are bad. So let's crack on with. Episode three of Horror of Fang Rock. I'm going to press watch from the beginning on BritBox. You may be watching on DVD. Uh, you won't be watching on Blu-ray at the time I record this. Uh, so three, two, one. Right, I had a few false starts there, so sorry if... Uh, uh, well, you won't notice. I'll hopefully have edited it brilliantly. And now I've drawn attention to it. So it could have been a seamless uh, seamless transition, but that's just... Britbox decided to behave slightly strangely. Uh, so here we are. I'm sure... I wonder if my brothers and sisters told me I... Brothers and sister told me I watched this one. I have an inkling. It was one I, I maybe should have watched when I was a kid, but I don't don't remember watching as a kid. I do remember The Invisible Enemy. So that's interesting because I think of it as one that predates my watching experience because I have no memory of watching it as a kid. And yet, uh, you know, the episode broadcast two weeks after this one. But um, it was the repeat of Invisible Enemy that was my earliest memory. But I've just had an inkling of my brothers going, oh, no, you you know, you were around when when we watched Horror Fang Rock. But if, if I was, I don't remember it. Invisible Enemy is my earliest memory. And so I think of this one as being one from before my time, especially as I got the book so early in my, my book buying. Uh, but this is all good, and, and the characters all look uh, great. You know, BBC can do um, costume drama. Uh, so, you know, all of that stuff they, they can do in their sleep. Although, of course, because this was Birmingham, there was a, I think there was a, a few members of the crew that, uh, you know, would be their first and only time working on the show um i think there was a sound guy that was it dave bomber that that paul venezes knew who sadly no longer with us who i think had done something on the moon base when he'd been stationed in london but largely worked in birmingham because paul venezes who is you know bbc producer missing episode hunter extraordinaire and uh, BBC, uh dvd commentary producer and stuff lovely fella paul um, he knows all the Birmingham lot because he's based in Birmingham, and he uh, he always used to mention Dave Bomber because he did this, and I think it was I, I think a lot of the guys that Paul knew or knows have one Doctor Who connection. And it's Horror Fang Rock because this was done at Pebble Mill. Uh, I like uh, I, I like the fact that uh, 
you know, all the all the class stuff is completely knocked out of the park now that you know this lighthouse is under attack, and by morning we might all be dead. I th I think um, Annette Woolett, whose name is now I think Lucy Maxwell. Um, I've never had the pleasure, but she was one we couldn't find for a while. But then she turned up. She works for a charity, I think, in Swansea. Um, uh, but because I'd got Rio Fanning for Who's Round, here he is, lovely actor, um, told terrible stories of, of going to a sort of Catholic school and getting discipline whacked into him on his bare hands. You know, he'd never have gotten any of that. Uh, but uh, he's in the first, or he's in one of the, I think he's in one of the first three episodes of Zed Cars. He's in one of the Zed Cars episodes that's on the that's on the um, on the VHS of Z-Cars that they did. And I remember the Z-Cars cast were on Wogan to launch a VHS of the first three Z-Cars episodes. Um, you know, primetime telly, uh, you know, venerable actors launching uh, archive telly on VHS. You wouldn't get that now, would you? Um, uh, maybe you would. I don't watch the one show very often, but uh, even if they did, they laughed at it. I remember, I seem to recall, they laughed at web of fear rather than treating with the with the reverence it deserved but there we go um uh, uh, people who make modern tele factual television don't seem to be aware that the people that came before them paved the way for what they do now and if you're doing the one show probably don't laugh at um a, a piece of children's drama that is endured for 60 years and people still remember and want to buy anyway i'm preaching to the converted and this is supposed to be positive and i was talking about rio fanning uh who's in yeah one of the early episodes of zed cars he popped up in a sergeant cork as well he pops up in an awful lot now then i suppose the uh the alan Rowe tries to make that work and it doesn't quite where he's supposed to look down first and then notice the guy behind him who's practically next to him but that's okay um um, because I love Colonel Skinsale. It's one of my favourite performances. I, I actually think, yeah, Annette Woolett, I think, has a hard job because she has to scream and lose it quite a lot. But it's a joke. It's in, in the it's in the text, it's in the character that actually they find her really annoying. And of course, and I know this, I, I, I put in, in the, 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 the Jago and Lightfoot I was in, I played a, an annoying character. And um, we said, God, he, I found him really annoying. I was like, well, yeah, he was supposed to be annoying, but I can understand why you might go, oh, Toby's really annoying that, but I'm not annoying. The character I was playing, I was annoying. And I wouldn't have done a, the right job if he hadn't been annoying. But it's a bit like, is it Jeremy Fitzoliver in uh, in the, in the Pertwee radios? He is really annoying, though. And Adric's annoying, and Brendan's annoying. And I'm not, I'm not sure annoying characters are particularly helpful to an actor. Um, but actually, I think in the case of Adelaide, it's done very well because I think she plays her spot on. And the way that the others react uh, is occasionally sardonic. Leela, Leela gets quite tired of her, but, it, but, but, but actually is quite gentle with her. And also Adelaide is scared, but also patronising. It's clever. It works. And, and, and I think you have to give the actress credit um, and also a certain amount of sympathy going you're you're yeah you're playing the awful one so you know put your ego to one side uh and and she's not and she doesn't take you out of the drama and make you go oh god i'm not enjoying watching this anymore because she's been, she's been deliberately placed in it in that way no the issue i guess is we've just had you know the doc saying i think the creature killed reuben and Ark is going no no i saw him and you have colin douglas doing very well there, looking sort of slightly stunned and going leave me be now 
I don't think I ever watched this without knowing that it was a shape-changing alien. So it's very difficult for me to judge whether, because I love the cliffhanger to this episode, but is it a cliffhanger that works? <laughs> because uh, does it does it work because it's just so well done and well acted and nicely written? I love it. a girl's tightrope like a piece of string. <laughs> Um, and this, I love this scene um, because um, Skinsale, who you know, who has his own issues in terms of whether he's a, a a good person or not, is is kind of the one we're rooting for amongst this bunch because she's awful and Lord Palmerdale's a git, terror, horrible swine, uh, and we kind of like Skinsale because he's funny and because he conducts himself like a gentleman it's actually part of the trick it's quite clever because skin cell represents a lot of things that aren't okay and it's a very dare i say it very british thing of kind of we kind of respond to people it sort of explains jacob reese mogg in a way who would asset strip this country and sell it for tuppence halfpenny to his mates who don't pay tax in this country um but but would do it by qu quoting latin and wearing a, a double-breasted suit and looking like uh, copyright somebody else or haunted pencil and 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 and, and um you know sport deporting himself with with manners and with uh excellent diction and uh you know sort of oldie worldy sort of etiquette and we like that we do respond to that weirdly we're we're a country that has that has class etched into so many of its interactions and contradictions uh, and I find it, I, I find I'm drawn to people, in inverted commas, talking properly and a sort of old-fashionedness that makes me feel comfortable for a nostalgic for a time when things were proper. And of course, things weren't proper. We did terrible things in the past. And, uh, and all these sort of people like Skinsay were terrible hypocrites who, who hid behind their honour as an excuse to do terrible, terrible things. And yet I really like Colonel Skinsale and I think he's charming and funny. Um... And there's a nice subplot here with the with the money, where of course poor old Vince, bless him, uh, you know d doesn't want to do anything bad, but is also you know this is this is the amount of money this amount of money could be life changing from. But of course he later burns it, so actually it's a terrible waste. He's he's because that will never and it and it almost doesn't it within the sort of confines of the story. It it, it sort of signs his death warrant because he's. He's tempted, albeit very, very briefly, to the dark side. Uh, although, actually, him taking the money has has nothing to do with his death, not like Skinsale, who dies scrabbling for diamonds. But but it does it does kind of dirty all of the characters, and I I like that. I think again, that's just clever writing. It's 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 not just doing stuff for plot. It's it's having a sort of thematic thing going on with it. But listen, I was talking about the shape changing I, I don't think i ever watched this without knowing you know and it's reminiscent i've mentioned uh uh, uh the thing when i mentioned the fog but i didn't elaborate and of course the thing is about people in a confined confined base and the alien could be any one of us um and i you know i love that who goes there is the original title isn't it the sort of paranoia uh, of uh, you know oh, oh it's him when they do the blood bit and this is this is sort of doctor who's equivalent and it does it does it well but but does anybody watching think that Ruben is alive at this point? I don't, I honestly don't know. 
Um, and of course, when they cut to him glowing in his bedroom, I think you're really going, oh, no, that's that's the monster. But there are attempts to disguise because we think, I guess we think Ruben's in his room at this point, do we? Um, or do we know, no, no, he's the alien, he's gone into his bedroom and he's changed and he's crawled out uh, and is now going to kill uh, Lord Palmerdale. That's a good shot because the way that it's shot and without you hearing the conversation is, is suggests the sort of eavesdropping that he's doing. And the fog is coming in and you can see the green light. Uh, and, you know, Palmerdale's had it coming because he's such an awful person. Uh, and that fog is nicely in. And it's a good performance by Sean Caffrey. He was a good actor. And as I say, these these aren't the sort of parts he normally played. So that's quite nice. Um, but actually, it's quite good casting. I think it's quite good casting um, because a, 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 a lot of those people from that class did have a sort of underlying brogue. It wasn't quite as RP as as I think some casting today would do it. So, uh, I, yeah, I think that all works very nicely. Um, although he is RP, but there's just, just because he's... I don't know. Because he's an Irish actor doing RP, it, it does give it that that, that slight uh, offness that is accurate. It's good. It's deliberate. It's good. It works. Um and this, I think, is brilliant because Skinsale, who we really like, uh, has done this on purpose. And he sits there, cool as a cucumber, going, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and he also gets the catharsis of saying horrible things about Palmerdale, which we like. But now Skinsale, of course, he's going to do a terrible thing. He's going to he's worried about his reputation. So which I was alluding to before. It's all about sort of surface reputation. Well, reputation, you know, who, uh, and, and my, you know, actually, there's some dramas where that, that's seen as a good thing. I mean, in the, the Crucible, you know, John Proctor says, you know, you, you, you can have everything, but not my name, you know, uh, because that's who you are, you know, and that's that's how these people operate is that is, you know, your place in society your good name is, is important. Now, when Proctor does it, he's, you know, he's fighting against the evil of the the, the mob. Um, and it's a good thing. Whereas, of course, when Skinsale does it, it's 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 ego and selfishness um, disguised as honour. And yet we still really like him. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, so we've seen the glowing around Reuben, uh, but it ties it still ties in with the beast of Fang Rock and going, you know, one of them went mad. Has Reuben gone mad? Which means Vince has reason to worry about his safety, quite rightly, as it turns out. Um And and this is because I mean they're quite mean to her. You you actually feel a bit sorry for her here, you know, because she is in mortal peril. Um, uh, but they haven't got time. Has he has he done the line about? No, it's now the malicious damage act eighteen sixty one covers lighthouses. I adore. I mean, it's and it's just a throwaway. He doesn't even follow it up. In fact, what nothing is, it, 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 you know, it kind of draws attention to that, which is a shame because actually it's a beautiful line. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, rebuke, uh, <laughs> and there's something cracking and Leela about going. He's locked in. I've got a mallet. I'm gonna smash his door down. Love that uh, because she never. She does this stuff without it ever being a suggestion that she's an unthinking, you know, bullish, purely physical 
creature. She's Leela is so intelligent and intuitive. She's just not intellectual because she's not. Her education has not been that way. And I think that is very clever characterization. And that is greatly to Doctor Who's credit. Um, and I think Leela's a brilliant character. I think Leela's an absolutely fantastic character. And they are lucked out when they got Louise Jameson to play her. So, you know, part of me goes, oh, I mean, I wish you'd taken the money. <laughs> um, but it just shows what a good man Vince is I guess that he will he will burn the money on principle when he's you know or, or is he doing it to cover his tracks no I don't read it like that I read it as he didn't want to take it in the first place and now something terrible has happened um he you know he doesn't want to he's he's ashamed of his part in that process even though he's not responsible for Palmerdale's death but yeah I see it as a as a positive with Vince I don't see him as he's covering his tracks I don't think he's that sort of character Hostile alien from a distant planet. <laughs> it intends to destroy us. He can just do that dialogue like he's shelling peas. I mean, he just this brilliant stuff comes out of him. It fits him like a glove. Oh, Tom Baker, you're so good. Uh, I cannot find the cowardly one. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that that Leela is so straight in what she says, and of course that's great. You know, we we and the, that's the brilliance of the setting. Adelaide had gone upstairs to find Palmerdale, and they went, no, he's not up there. Well, and he's not downstairs either, so this is when they realise, oh, something must have happened to him. Um, uh, and, and the Doctor's pretty unfeeling the way that he um, issues this news in front of Adelaide, who he knows won't be able to cope with it. Uh, and, and, and this is, I think this is Tom, the actor, being being quite unkind, actually, uh, Tom the actor and therefore the doctor being quite unkind which I don't like as much as I do some of his other readings because because it's sort of almost making light of somebody's death and now it earns it here because you have that you know do you want to go outside and check oh god I see what this means and so now they're finally convinced uh, that you know he believes in this deadly alien creature Colin Douglas looks great um but I think his initial breaking of the news uh, you know when he does it sort of slightly quizzically I, I can see what he's doing there and it's him being you know the alien I also think it's Tom not massively helping his well I suppose he is helping the actors because it's 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 an appalling you know the juxtaposition between his glibness and and Adelaide's you know terrible shock um, you know, is all part and parcel of the whole makeup of of the atmosphere and the dynamics within the thing. But I think I prefer him when, like when he's when he's you know he's quite cold about the death of Marcus Scarman. He still does have a sort of sort of um, depth about him. You know, there's a there's a seriousness to it, even with the sort of alien dis, dis, the, the dispassionate alienness as it as it were. Whereas there, he's doing a sort of gag. Um, but I, I think it's it's what you get when you when you have Tom Baker. You you know he will give surprising line readings, and you know uh, certainly at this period, nine times out of ten, they they work really really well. And and you know I quite like I something to me as a as a as a lad as a kid as a as, you know all of this stuff where you know the three chaps go right. Well, we better go out and have a look. Uh, you know, felt feels terribly brave. You know, they don't even question that they're going to do it. And I thought, gosh, is that what you do when you're grown up and brave and all of that? And it's the stuff of sort of adventure. Um, 
And of course, Skincell has seen death before because for all of his du uh, duplicitousness, you know, he's a man who's seen action and has probably been very brave in it. Um, uh, and, and, and of course, yes, these different dynamics throw out this, the, you know, a suggestion. Yes, I like the way she goes enough that she's not, she's not being cruel to her. She's just, come on. Um, there's a slight gentleness with the tiredness about her. But Tom Baker is brilliant here. And it's a lovely piece of writing that, yeah, Skinsale, who we like, has gone... Yeah, no, I didn't kill him because I was down here. What were you, what were you doing down here? Uh, sometimes on the radio. Uh, and to protect your honour, you've put all our lives in danger. And yet, skin sale is not, still not like the baddie. You, you'd be sadder if skin sale died than, than Lord Palmerdale because Lord Palmerdale wasn't very nice. Harker, though, is the hero. He's the doughty working man who's entrusted by the doctor to do the work. And, oh, yeah, this is, this is the end of him. Oh, and Colin Douglas does a beautiful... Uh, sort of horror grin doesn't it it's a lovely piece of acting all of this but look at that that's glorious sort of oh and Vince doesn't actually because Vince dies very quickly in the next episode so actually Vince burning the money is pretty much his last action apart from uh, you know saying that the, the the foghorn doesn't work and I like the way that Tom Baker says Harker in a minute when, when they realise the implications of the fact that the is it called the foghorn doesn't work but that's a great uh, sadistic sort of alien smile and you know the, the way that um, uh, Reuben goes from sort of being impassive walking dead man to uh, you know sadistic bright eyed grimacing alien uh, he was dead before he hit the ground you see that's great writing of the of the sort of st the line you get lines kind of lines you get during I know it just passed it but during the Hinchcliffe era of that kind of it was dead before he hit the ground it just gives it drama it gives it gives it input it makes you it makes you feel quite excited even though it's horrible in real life it would be horrible in drama it's the it's the stuff of sort of excitement and atmosphere and ominousness um oh yeah it, and look at Tom Baker so good at being a sort of brooding person and I love all of this stuff about you know the doctor trying to work out who the alien is um, because he has this vast sort of storehouse of knowledge and I love the way that Louise is relaying that news as though she's repeating what she has been told because she doesn't really know how the boiler works and all of that sort of stuff that's a such a clever acting choice uh, of somebody because because somebody who hasn't thought about it enough would just go Oh, Vince says the boilers thing and the pressure starts right. But she doesn't really know what that means. So she's relaying it like it's been told to her. Although actually the reality for Louise Jameson is it hasn't been told to her because there's nobody at the other end. So brilliant, brilliant. And this is great for the drama because they followed down. So you have the, the death of Harker, which is terrible because he's a great character. Uh, nice performance from Rio Fanning. Uh, but you've got them followed down. We're building to the climax now. So you get the only person that's allowed to really lose it uh, of the character's you know that are able to be party to this are Adelaide so we get her losing it so get her away because the drama's about to uh, uh, to not to ratchet up but these two can't lose their cool because they're our heroes so instead what we have for the cliffhanger is not ah this is terrible we have this wise old time lord suddenly realizing what's wrong and that he's partially responsible and again the way that this is written 
rigor mortis. Instead of saying, oh, he's been dead, rigor mortis leads us into he's been dead for hours. Uh, and, and then the way that Tom Baker performs this, I think, is fabulous. Even though why, Tom Baker saying, Chameleon, I've done a whole podcast about this. This is Tom Baker being naughty because, uh, well, I'll, I'll talk about it next next time because we have the early Shemurli as well. Because I don't want to I don't want to cramp the style of that brilliantly, brilliantly, brilliantly uh, acted uh, cliffhanger. And damn your eyes. Uh, I was pressing the button to say to stop it from uh, cutting out during the credits because I like reading the credits uh, and they provide a lovely backdrop to the climax of this. So unfortunately, um, I'm not now talking along to the closing credits and the cast because it's raining. There's something wrong with my internet. Britbox is playing up. Whatever, whatever. Now it's starting episode four. Ah, ah, ah. And also apologies because that episode might have slightly gone out of sync because somebody knocked on the door um, with a delivery uh, just after the um, the doctor was told that Lord Palmerdale had fallen off the gantry and I tried to line it up and sort of re-recorded exactly the same point but you, if you're watching along with the episode you might have gone slightly out of sync for which I apologise but I think most people just um, listen to this um, what, when they're at the, while they're out for a walk or, or presumably while they're having open heart surgery or at the dentists in order to 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 have something even more painful to distract them from from, <laughs> from the pain i'm just bestowing upon you anyway i love that episode of doctor who i think it's a wonderfully atmospheric story i had it hadn't actually occurred to me when i started i don't know why i'd started banging on about the, the fog and the thing it must have been subconscious because i've never really sort of thought about this echoing those Carpenter films. And, the, and we watched lots of films when I was a, a kid late at night. I was allowed to stay up late at night. But the ones that had the real impact on me, um, apart from one called The Omega Man with Charlton Heston that I watched as a, as, a, as, a, as a kid and was the most terrifying thing ever. And I've since watched it and it's, it's not that terrifying. But my goodness. Uh, and it's the one that became I Am Legend. It's, it's the one based on I Am Legend, isn't it? Um, but... Anthony Zerby and those guys with their with their you know their their white eyes um, was was enough to send the chills down the back of my spine. Um, but but it was mostly the Carpenters uh, and as I say the you know the thing the fog Halloween they're the ones that I remember being the kind of sort of slightly naughty late night horrors that we were allowed to stay up and watch that I felt a bit growing up being able to stay up and watch. And actually, yeah, this is a this this has elements of both the fog and the thing. Um, and, and yet, I knew of this before I knew of them because this was a, this is a, you know, this was a very early Doctor Who on my radar. And I think I'd ruined it for myself by flicking through the book and seeing where I think I knew where most people died before I actually read the story properly. I see even before the existence of spoilers, I think I spent much of my youth spoiling Doctor Who stories for me by wanting to have a, a general idea of what it of, of the story before getting down to the nitty gritty. Um, I love the idea of being able to discover some of them. I'm so envious of uh, of young people, uh, but, but but not not from any sort of curmudgeonly a vibe of, from me or anything like that. But I I would love to be a you know a kid or a teenager who's just been introduced to Doctor Who, just fallen in love with Doctor Who, um, you know, because it gets you when you're young. Imagine you know having just watched. Uh, you know, the last season or the, the latest episode. So, yeah, say, 
for the sake of argument, you've having just watched Flux as a kid and got into it and like these characters and gone, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there's more Doctor Who, isn't there? And, and discovering all the, you know, all the, the, the new Who, as it were. But then there's going to be a subsection of them. Not everybody would then go back and go further back. But imagine being the, the sort of kid who is, you know, predisposed to consume it all, who then goes, what, there's, there's, a, there's a pre-series of Doctor Who that's 26 years long and discovering stories like the horror of Fang Rock first time and i hope i hope because i think i think this stuff is more ubiquitous and there's less shame attached to it see i was always slightly ashamed of television that was 10 15 years old because it was easily mocked by my schoolmates but i think there's enough time passed now that this stuff is i think slightly understood slightly more that you know we don't make television like this anymore but it doesn't matter in the same way that you know when when i was getting embarrassed about stuff like this you didn't get embarrassed about casablanca uh, and, uh, uh, and 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 classic films in the same way because they were they were venerable and part of history now there will always be you know that one show stuff i got annoyed about uh, people who sort of look back and go uh oh, here's a here's a thing they couldn't do because it hadn't been invented yet i'll laugh at that from yeah but but i think i think yeah, I think that's just best best ignored because it's sort of pointless. You think it's not actually not so not worth saying the fact that you think it's worth saying and that we have whole television programs dedicated to people saying that sort of thing. I, I think is a sign of the cultural apocalypse that reigns on us all. Um, but it's not worth it's not actually worth bringing into the conversation because the joy, the sheer joy, is the idea that there's going to be a ten year old somewhere who loves Jodie Whittaker and has gone back and. Gone, oh, and I like Peter Capaldi and the Matt Smith, and, uh, and then, oh, there's all these old ones. And some, and you know, an uncle for Christmas goes, Well, I know you've got all the new ones, but I found this in a charity shop, you know, and it's a horror fang rock or something. This will be somebody's first classic who. And imagine it. Oh, it's such good quality, such a good story. Tom Baker is brilliant, and it's got that wonderful template I talked of of characters being picked off one by one. Uh, I think so moody and atmospheric, partially because Tom Baker's a beast, <laughs> partially because Paddy Russell's very good with actors and with atmosphere. Louise Jameson, all the cast help. It's a brilliant script from Terence Dix. And I'm overjoyed that one of the listeners on Patreon, Guy Lambert, the estimable Guy Lambert, who's worked in television himself, has confessed that he's never really got on with horror fang rock and he's now doing it properly. Um, watching it an episode at a time and listening along to these. So if nothing else, because I don't know any nine-year-olds, but I'm I'm satisfied that there will be one out there for whom this is their first classic Who, and what a start of an exciting journey that will be. And, oh, to be young again, but aren't they lucky? Um, and I've been very lucky in, in my experience of Who as well, you know. I count myself lucky that I, you know, I witnessed so many episodes that were missing not being missing and the excitement of that and you know uh, the, the the you know excitement of the the resurrection of the show and all sorts so there's there's luck wherever it's just part of the tapestry the rich tapestry of being a doctor who fan which is all about childhood changing into adulthood and all the love and loss that goes with that it's love and loss being a doctor who fan uh it's uh it's death and taxes <laughs> um but look I, I don't know. I, uh, so, yeah, I, my, my, my hope for this is that Guy comes to the end of this process with these four episodes and goes, do you know what? I've learned to stop worrying and love the horror of Fang Rock 
and then I'll go, it's not the horror fang rock, it's horror fang rock. Do you see how I turned my mistake into his then? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, right, well, my choice, I'm afraid, I, I, I mean, I didn't even need to think about it. Um, uh, it's, it's the cliffhanger. It's one of the great Doctor Who cliffhangers. Even though I have this nagging little voice going, but it's obvious what the cliffhanger tells us is obvious from the beginning of the episode when Reuben is the walking dead man uh, and Harker spots him and he goes, leave me be. And, and then he goes up to his room and starts glowing like an alien. <laughs> uh, but it's not... And, and of course, then you see the alien that kills Palmerdale, which, you know, when you think about it, you go, oh, it's crawled out of Reuben's window and gone up because it is Reuben. But that's not explicitly shown. He does glow like an alien, though. A part of me, and I remember being very annoyed about this as a kid, part of me sort of goes, why is they show him glowing? Because it's obvious. Um, it's only obvious if you know the cliffhanger's coming. The cliffhanger... So anyway, it's not for me to judge because I go into that cliffhanger with knowledge and I still love it. So there may be some people who haven't picked up or have been you know, misdirected by the script and the, the acting and the performances and it hasn't occurred to them. Um... Because, of course, it doesn't start off being a story about an alien that disguises itself as people either. That, that you know, that's not, that's not our start point with this, with this alien. It is a revelation. But anyway, whether we know it or not, I think it is a deftly executed cliffhanger, even though Tom Baker deliberately mispronounces a word because he heard Laurence Olivier do that once and thought that that would be witty. Um, I'll talk, I, there's a podcast I do about it about mispronunciations and we've all got our own haven't we the logopolises the mandragoras uh i was neither of those but i was a, a, a crinoid um i've done a whole podcast about those where i miss out loads i spent ages on that podcast then loads of people went oh i did this one and i was like well i did that one as well why didn't i think of it and put it in the podcast but i suppose that's part of what these are about because they're essentially tedious monologues I, I'm glad that there is an element where people go, oh, no, I think this and can contribute that. And it, and it provokes a conversation that is had beyond. So that justifies the nearly 40 minute solo haydoke that you've had to endure. I, I guess that's my excuse. and I'm sticking to it. So listen, Martin Geraghty has been uh, choosing his favorite things about the ho about horror of Fang Rock. Uh, and I think we were, I, I, th I think we've been pretty, uh, pr pretty much on the same wavelength. Uh, and so I will be interested to see if he chooses, if he chooses, uh, the cliffhanger for episode three, which I think is regarded as one of the best cliffhangers, even though it's telling us what most of us have picked up because it's just such a great performance from Tom Baker. And, and it's, and it's a great kind of, you know, subversion of the usual thing. Instead of going, that thing's going to get in. It's that thing's in and I've locked it in. That's great. It's a great, it's a great, ter ter terrible revelation. So I'm saying the cliffhanger, one of the great Doctor Who cliffhangers, um, that is more than a sum of its parts and actually, um, you know, exceeds the, its limitations, one of which is that the, the, the central one of which is I've got a sneaking suspicion it's not actually that much of a surprise, but it doesn't matter. It's bloody brilliant. 
Now, episode three. Um, this one is all about the cliffhanger, which, in contrast to many Doctor Who stories, uh, is just a couple of understated lines as opposed to um, a companion in mortal danger, uh, the reveal of a monster or uh, some whopping explosion which wipes out part of a base or something. Um, the fourth Doctor realises his mistake in a, a great chilling moment that sets the scene for the final episode. I vividly remember watching this on original transmission and remember my auntie letting out a, a tut of exasperation that she had to wait a week to find out what happens as uh, obviously binge watching was an unheard of luxury in 1977. Yes! The cliff, I get a point! Now I have to go back because uh, the, there's been a slight gap. I, I, I think Martin and I are doing pretty well. Well, I'm doing pretty well at being along the same lines as Martin. So having, but having self-sabotaged Fury from the Deep just recently, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much because um, uh, it's very unusual that, uh, that uh, I, 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 you know, I, uh, I, I triumph. In fact, I've triumphed once come close a couple of times but this feels like it might at least be a close one and that's that's a victory of sorts so there'll, there'll be there might be a, there might be a little bit of triumph amongst the corpses next week uh, as we sorry spoiler alert but you know if you're watching on the dvd you've seen everybody get killed already which is it makes me furious um but oh it's such a good story isn't it such a good story classic ingredients of classic Doctor Who for me. Brilliant. I defy anything on that week to be as good a piece of, of telly as this. You know, there will be some adult dramas that you will watch from that week that are slower, that are clumsier, that don't have as uniformly good casting, that don't have, you know, a theme within the story, subtext, things pivoting on character, characters that are contradictory and yet logically so... Uh, and two leading actors who are, you know, the very pinnacle of the the prof television professionals working at that time. Oh, horror fang rock. You have reminded this is because sometimes I do this because it's because I have to, you know, I've got to get stuff out there. This is what I've chosen to do to podcast and to be positive and all of that sort of stuff. And sometimes and, and it's always a, an enlightening experience because I'm going into it with the with the remit of being as positive as I possibly can. But sometimes I, you know, and I knew, but I knew I was going to like this one. But actually sometimes the one I like, the ones I like, I've sort of rehearsed in my own head why I like them anyway. So it's, it's it can be a bit of a chore sometimes, or I find it difficult to articulate. I'm not saying I haven't found this difficult to articulate, but I've, I've certainly really been inspired and enthused and nourished by the process. It's a reminder of why I love Doctor Who. So I think this is so good. There's no tongue in my cheek as I watch this. There's no sort of lofty disdain for uh, stuff from my childhood that now looks a little bit naff. I genuinely think this is high quality, brilliant Doctor Who, which means that it's high quality, brilliant television, uh, a classic of its genre, a jewel in Doctor Who's crown, um, and yet a very humble offering. A small group of people in a small location getting picked off by a monster. I mean, that's what it is, really. But of course, when Doctor Who is on song, it takes those humble ingredients and like a master Italian chef with 
just a tomato, but a damn good tomato. And some basil, but the finest basil. And some olive oil, but my God, he knows exactly how much to sprinkle and where. Uh, and you can create something layered and flavorful and sophisticated and yet deceptively simply brilliant but that goes down a treat well thank you very much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydoke and my special guest martin gerrity whose work you can find online and in doctor who magazine and on the doctor who animations i'm grateful to martin and to the patrons who make this podcast possible and they include Thomas Gerrier, Aaron Gullius, Luke Hannington, Susan Harrison, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Ronald Hayden, Paul Hayes, Legion Henderson, Matthew Herbert, Stephen Hill, Simon Hodges, Andrew Hodson, Sam Hollingsworth, Matthew Houliston, Darren Howard, David Hughes, Tom Hunter Watts, Paul Ingerson, Robert Jewell, Andrew Jolly, Judith Jackson, William Keith, Matthew Kilburn, Andy Kitching, Hendrik Korzenioski, Pete Lack, Andy Larson, Paul Lindblad, Neil Little, Andrew Lester and Andrew Llewellyn. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And if you would like to become a patron like those people whose names you just heard read out there then you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Tiers start for as little as £3 a month, and for your £3, you get early access to all of the podcasts, six months for Happy Times and Places, about six weeks to two months for Too Much Information and Indefinable Magic. So indefinable, I forgot the name of my own podcast temporarily. And... There's Too Much Information's sister podcast, which is far too much information, which is an exclusive for patrons. And you get most of the stuff at the lowest tier, £3. You can also sign up for a year in one go, which gets you a 10% discount, whatever tier you are on. There are little things to uh, entice you up the tier scale, uh, but most things are available at the lowest tier because I don't like the idea of withholding things. So it's a sort of pay what you want, really, which is the way things are going now. And uh, I apologise for being cap in hand, but uh, it is the way of the self-employed these days. And uh, if you're a patron, you get three things a week from me. So um, I wonder if some people are actually paying me to stop. But uh, if, if so, they haven't. They've been polite. Um, you can also go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock if you just want to do a one-off payment every now and again. If you particularly like a certain podcast or if you think I sound especially needy or if you've just won the lottery and want to share your largesse in metaphorical coffee, coffee form with creative people like me. So that's the, the Kofi thing. There's no uh, monthly commitment there, but you also don't get any of the bonuses. Uh, the Patreon is a monthly commitment uh, and... Uh, uh, but you can cancel at any time. And I know that both of those things are, you know, financial drains. And I know that, um, well, the, talking of drains, the country, the country is currently going down one. So uh, particularly in terms of all things financial. And I know that times are tough and uh, all this stuff gets out there for free eventually. So, um, uh, you know, uh, you have better things to be spending your money on. And I quite understand that. Uh, it's very, very difficult uh, just paying for basics at the moment as uh, everything seems to be getting worse and costing more. 
But you know what costs you nothing? Going to iTunes, going to Spotify, going to Podbean, anywhere you like, and giving these five stars. Those five-star ratings really help. And a few lines. Say something about them. Give us a, a bit of a, uh, an injection of uh, positive sentences. A uh, few uh, glowing words, which just helps to spread the word and improve our algorithms. I say R as if there's a team. It's me. I'm looking at the uh, at the register here on... Uh, um, uh, what is it called? Garage band going up and down, and uh, uh, you know this. There, there is no team. There is no editing uh, 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 skill or, um, or or anything. I mean, look, there's not not even an end to this sentence. It's just me with a MacBook and a microphone, and now a pop shield because I noticed. Uh, these recent episodes, I've got, I've got a pop shield on my mic, uh, but I, I had belt and braces it with another pop shield and I thought oh, it's just getting in the way and it's too much. But I've noticed the recent episodes have been a bit poppy. So if you're a listener and you've got slightly sensitive ears and you go, oh, I'm not, not comfortable with happy times and places at the moment. It's a little poppy. Uh, I have now added um, uh, an extra pop shield. So hopefully that will not be a problem anymore. Um, so uh, an apologies if uh, I can't remember quite when I took the pop shield off it wasn't that long ago um, but yeah hopefully normal service has been resumed normal pop free service and would you like to come and see some comedy in Manchester if so go to Excess Malarkey Comedy Club any Tuesday night uh, in Manchester at the Breadshed. Uh, we're at Excess Malarkey on Twitter. And uh, there's a Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey, which has got an archive of the shows we put on during the pandemic. Because I am a stand-up comic. That's what I do, really. This Doctor Who lark is a hobby that has got out of hand. Uh, but, you know, I talk about Doctor Who online too. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. Uh, these podcasts have their own feed at Haydoke Podcasts. Oh, I'm on Instagram as well. I'm not very good at Instagram, but I'm trying to get better because they say it's the future. Uh, so I'm the only Toby Haydoke on Instagram. Um, well, I'm presuming. Um, I mean, if there are fake ones, they presumably won't have photos of me. And if there are fake ones, I, I mean, they really need to have better things to do. But I don't think there are. So don't get any ideas. Okay, I think that'll do, don't you? It's uh, getting a bit late. This one's going live to patrons. I mean, I'm literally going to uh, switch this off and upload it to the patron page. So hello, everybody. Uh, it's a dark Tuesday night, the day after Halloween. I've just done a gig at Excess Malarkey where I did a, uh, went off on one about licorice and blackcurrant sweets and uh, aniseed balls and uh, herbal. Those are all those sweets that I absolutely love. But I think modern youth who cry at tweets because they haven't frankly they've not had to eat sweets that are frankly a bit of a bit of a chore and it takes I'm getting used to and I think when I I, I think I have to say I think that toughened us up a little bit and made us realize that uh, sometimes life was a bit of compromise and sometimes th things took a bit of getting used to and sometimes even a sweet could you know could be something you had to work at enjoying like life a blackcurrant and licorice sweet, I would say, is a metaphor for life. But I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, it's nice to uh, it's nice to be in the saddle when it all goes well, and I feel it's all going well 
uh, with Horror of Fang Rock as well, which is a story I very much enjoyed spoiling by talking through and over. And uh, I hope you are too, and I hope you're well wherever you are. Uh, where, out, where I am, the rain is falling and the darkness is closing in. But that feels kind of appropriate, uh, considering the story that I'm watching.